It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to This Week in the Big East, our weekly look at the teams, the coaches, the players, and the stories from the schools in the Big East Conference. John Rook, along with Kevin McNamara, this is episode five for 2021. Big East basketball season thus far has been a little like Rhythm and Blues, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Bear with me here for a second. There's a clear star on top of the marquee, but those Pips, they started it all, and man, they can help that star shine even brighter to the point of becoming stars on their own. And the Big East Pips, Kevin Mack, well, they could be growing in number by the game because several teams are now maneuvering for that spotlight. Well, how about the two hottest teams in the league right now? Maybe two teams that... I don't know if they're pips or stars or understars, but <laughs> right. they're, they're rising quickly. And that would be St. John's and Georgetown. You know, St. John's has now won five in a row. They handled Villanova on Wednesday night. What, what a huge night on Wednesday night. Uh, St. John's takes apart uh, Villanova really impressively. And then Georgetown, which had been on a three-week pause, uh, had just nipped Providence at home. They go out to Omaha and they beat Creighton someone handily, 86-79. So if you, you want to tell me, John, that teams like St. John's and Georgetown are going to get good, where are the weak spots? Where are the weak trips in this league the rest of the way? Don't think that there are any. That that's part of the, the part of the issue here. We're we've just turned the page into February. We got the stretch run still to come, and all the bullets that you know everybody's dodging here. Now you're telling me that anybody can really beat anybody. This should be a heck of a ride. Well, and I'd say the one team that it's hurting a little bit right now is Creighton. Creighton had been ranked as high as the top 10 in the country. Right now, they're not a top 10 team. They've stubbed their toe a couple times, uh, lost to Butler, now Georgetown. They need to get it right if they're going to be a top, you know, top four, top five seed in the NCAA tournament. That's going to be hard to do. Uh, Creighton has some serious work to do between now and the Big East tournament with the potholes that are developing in the Big East. And then next further down, we really need to get Xavier and Connecticut back on the floor. I think those two teams are also looking like NCAA tournament teams, but, but their resumes are very thin because of COVID pauses. We, we need to see them back up and running. All right. Let's hit this week's On the Court Big East headlines. Big East schools, Villanova and Creighton, remain ranked in the AP Top 25. Villanova remains number three going into the week. Creighton climbed two spots to 15th. Xavier and Connecticut also receiving votes. Six Big East teams rank at the top 64 of the Ken Palm. Eight are ranked in the net top 100. But that number could be changing as the St. John's Red Storm are charging hard with six wins in their last seven games, including a 70-59 to win at home against Villanova this week. It was Nova's first league loss this season, and the win was the highest-ranked victory for St. John's at Karnaseka Arena since 1966. Georgetown could also be making its move with two solid wins this week over Providence and a road win at 15th-ranked Creighton Wednesday night. That's a game in which the Hoyas never trailed over the last 30 minutes. COVID put another team on a pandemic pause this week with Xavier again headed to the sidelines to regroup with the hope of rejoining play again soon. Several league games have also had their game days and time switched around to accommodate all parties, and we'll catch up on those a little bit later. 
Home teams now only 28 and 27 going into this weekend's play, which means UConn, Butler, Providence, Marquette, and Villanova can't get comfy in their familiar digs because they're all at home this weekend. Kevin, two old-school Big East programs making the most noise this week, as we've already alluded to, without a doubt. We're setting up for one wild ride, I think, to the finish here. John, we have to dig down a little further on Mike Anderson's St. John's team. And I know we're going to have Zach Braziller of of the New York Post uh, to help us with that later in the show. But Mm -hmm. five in a row, including wins at Connecticut, at DePaul, at Marquette. Uh, And it just shows those road wins that – you know, you just alluded to the home teams are in serious trouble with no crowds, no no extra juice behind them. Every game is up for the uh, picking. And right now, St. John's, the thing that impresses me the most, we know Posh Alexander. We know, obviously, Julian Champagny. Now they have guys who, you know, John, we're supposed to know these teams. They have guys contributing now who I have to flip through my notes and say, where's he come from? I mean, it's that <laughs> that that type of depth that Mike Anderson has is starting to come to the fore and got to give them all the credit in the world. No question about it. We'll talk more about that again, coming up in just a little bit. As always, we thank our Westwood one affiliate stations for tuning in and joining us, checking us out this weekend. Thanks for catching us on Sirius XM. If you're on the podcast thing, make sure you subscribe, you rate and you review us on Apple, on Google, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Castro, Castbox, Podfriend. Did I leave anybody out for more on the podcast? Visit, twitbeat.buzzsprout.com and you can also listen online westwoodonesports.com and on bigeast.com inside episode five this week st john's has had it rolling with a cast and crew under mike anderson's direction you might not know much about just yet and zach braziller of the new york post will give us some insight of the red storm and on the big east in our national perspective depaul has had its share of stops and starts this season but there's little doubt the blue demons have talent Can they stay on the floor to show it? Head coach Dave Leto will join us. And while UConn is without one of their stars, another may be emerging. Tyrese Martin is a candidate, and he joins us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. Big East Spotlight. Backs away to the Husky logo with a left-hand dribble. Tacks inside, picked up by Polly on a switch, and a block there by Whaley. Another one. On a kick out to Martin. Martin on a right wing. Starts inside on Holden, and he put it up at the buzzer, and he made it. How about Tyrese Martin? UConn's re-entry into the Big East and reacquaintance with rivals from the recent past has been exciting for many, until perhaps guard James Booknight fell to an injury. But as most of us know, one man's fall is another man's opportunity. Huskies junior guard Tyrese Martin joins us this week in the Big East. Therese, on top of losing a guy like Book Knight for a while, you guys have lost 10 games to postponement or cancellation this season. What has all of this off-the-court stuff you've had to deal with been like? Um, it's It's been tragedy, like a big tragedy. I mean, just thinking you're going to play somebody, then you don't play somebody. Then just recently a ref gets COVID, and then we have to get um, sit out for 10 days. So everything is just mentally affecting everybody but we're just we just got to be able to stay strong because again we're not the only ones going through this there's other teams in the country going through this we just have to be able to handle our situations best how about you particularly you know uh, playing well before this latest break with the referee uh, how do you stay sharp how does the team stay sharp without 
getting into a rhythm uh, with game action? Um, just sticking to the script and just continue doing what you've been doing before the little break happened. I mean, there's no point in switching anything up, coming to work every day, do what you got to do, and handle your stuff on and off the court. And hopefully things keep going in the right direction. Let's talk a little Huskies basketball. What do you feel like this is your first year in the program? You transferred in this season from the University of Rhode Island. So what do you feel like has been the best attribute for this UConn team? Because now that you guys are kind of brand new back in this league again, you're becoming a little bit of a marked, you're becoming a marked team, I would think. Everybody wants a piece of you guys. What's been the best thing about coming back and playing this season? The best thing about coming back and playing this season is definitely, well, for UConn, is to pick up where they left off last year. I mean, I wasn't a part of them last year, but they had good momentum ending the season. And then to pick up where where things left off to join them and add some of what I can do to the team to obviously help them. I mean, it's been great. And I feel like this program is going in the right direction and building back to what UConn used to be. Tyrese, we've asked uh, pretty much every player uh, who's been on the show this year the same thing. And Curious what your reaction to it is uh, to not have fans, to basically have to be self-motivated. You, you get a great motivator as, as a head coach and Coach Hurley. Uh, UConn's known for playing hard. How difficult is it to show up and play really hard all the time without fans? It's real difficult. But when you have, like you said, a coach that's on the sideline that looks like he's ready to check into the game, hmm. and then you have your bench there bringing a lot of energy, it kind of doesn't affect the game without the fans other than the highlight plays and things like that, the crowd getting into it. But at times it can be hard to start the game just to get going without fans. But other than that, I feel like we've been doing a great job with being ready and playing hard. Love what you said about Coach Hurley being ready to check into the game. Obviously, you know, he played in the Big East, played at Seton Hall. You played for him previously when you were both at the University of Rhode Island. What can you tell us about Coach Hurley that maybe the average fan, the average listener here doesn't know about him? I would say he really cares for his players and making sure they grow as a person each and every day. Like I feel like on the uh, fan would look at the game and think like, oh, he's a crazy, mean guy to his players, <laughs> blah, blah. But like he really cares for his players and wants them to be better people, even than better basketball players. All right. Now, Tyrese, we, we won't tell Coach Hurley uh, anything, you know, that, that you say on the show. So <laughs> I, I imagine some of your teammates look at you from once in a while when, when, when Coach is at that uh, overheated level and, and you have to say, ah, this is nothing. You know, he does this all the time. Did, have you had some of those moments yet in your time at UConn? I don't let the things he say affect me, but I do take it into consideration of the point he's trying to get across to me, if that makes any sense. So it's not like I'm sitting there just brushing it off. I'm taking in what he's saying, but I'm not letting what he's saying affect me in a negative way. I think that means that you can be coached, and that's why he likes you as a player, and that's why he wanted you uh, to follow him to stores. Uh, can you just speak to that a little bit? Was that a difficult decision to leave uh, Rhode Island or, or was just a really strong relationship between you and, and the head coach? Well, I never got the chance to play for Hurley because when I was going in, he was leaving. So then I stayed with Coach Cox. And then it was hard leaving them last spring. I mean, I had some great relationships there. Still talk to the coaches and players from over there today. But I felt like for me and what's best for my future and what I want to do with basketball, I feel like making this move was the right one for me. 
Well, with uh, an injured player and a guy like James Booknight, uh, you know, clearly there are other roles for other people to step up. You being one of those guys, you, Tyler Polly, some others have had an opportunity here. What have you guys said amongst yourselves in an effort to try to pick up some of that, that slack so when he does return, this team could be in better shape? Um, everybody just had to dig deeper and take one step, one step more and give something else to the team. And I feel like God has been doing that. And that's our biggest um, biggest thing with this team is depth. We have a lot of players who can step up and make plays. So I feel like we've been doing that greatly since James has been out. And then we just have to keep it up when he comes back. Tyrese, I'm curious what you think of the Big East so far. Uh, you know, you guys haven't played a lot of games, but you've certainly made an impact in the games that you have played. What kind of brings to mind what, when you think about what the league's competition has been thus far? Um, it's definitely one of the best leagues in the conference, in the country, I mean. Um, there's definitely a lot of teams. There's no days off in any game. I mean, any team could come in and beat one of the top teams at the conference. That's how talented this league is. So you really have to stay locked in. There's not one team in this league that you can brush off and say, oh, they're not that good. Like, they're all pretty good in this league. All right, one more for you here. Tyrese, we asked this of a lot of our players as well. About the competition, who's impressed you? What other players on other teams perhaps in this league have stood out to you and said, wow, I didn't realize that guy could play like that? Who's made an impression on you? That, like, didn't have the buzz but were good or, like, players that, like, have the buzz and didn't think e- Either way, either way. Whatever kind of leaves you with an impression, like, hmm, I didn't know that about that guy. Um, I would say Sandro Mamu from Seeing Hall. Yeah. Because just his, like, passing ability and his ability to make plays at the position he is, I feel like that's outstanding. That's, that's outstanding what he could do at that height in that position, the way he could pass the ball and dribble it. That's Connecticut's Tyrese Martin. Next up, who's hot? Who stands out? Who is bringing the A game and not the F game? The week's best players and top performers are next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. Who's hot? Slide pass to Gillespie. Ball stolen away from him. Alexander ahead of the field. And he dunks it with two hands. And St. John's goes ahead 58 to 41. Unbelievable. Creighton can take the lead now with 110 left to play. Zegarowski around the screen, steps into a three. It's good. Marcus Zegarowski gives Creighton the lead 81 to 79 with a minute left to go. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara. Player of the Week this week is a familiar name, so we'll start it off with Marcus Zagorowski of Creighton, who averaged 18.5 points, four assists, three and a half rebounds, shot 53% from three. Blue Jays had wins at Seton Hall and at DePaul before stubbing their toe against Georgetown on Wednesday, but we know what Marcus Zagorowski brings to the table, Kev. It was great to see him have a big week. He has been bothered, John, all season by off-season knee surgery and a few other leg issues. Uh, the Blue Jays are going to need Zagorowski to be a first-team all-league level player the rest of the way for sure. Freshman of the week, I think we need to get used to this as well. Posh Alexander again from St. John's, who now is emerging as a potential lead candidate for freshman of the year in the Big East. Alexander sparked St. John's to a perfect week, 15 points, four rebounds, four and a half assists, four and a half steals per game, 50% shooting. Wow, is about all I can say here. You know, John, if you think about it, the last several years, we've had kind of automatic rookies of the year. The votes have been pretty obvious. Last year, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was was an easy call. This year, you know, maybe a month ago, we were saying Dawson Garcia from Marquette 
Right. Right now, Posh is certainly pushing him, if not a little bit trending ahead of him. So that'll be a really interesting race to watch the rest of the way. Nice race, in fact. And it's great to see the young talent start to really make an impact in, in all of these games. On the honor roll this week, Chudier Belay from Georgetown, a, a grad transfer from Northwestern State in Louisiana, had 19 points and nine rebounds, Georgetown career highs in a big win over Providence. Speaking of Providence, A.J. Reeves, Friar fans hoping he can break out. He had 28, a season high against Georgetown. We've mentioned Julian Champagny, averaged 19 points and six and a half boards for the number one scorer in the Big East for the Red Storm, Jeremiah Robinson Earl on that uh, list as well, uh, leading the Wildcats. And Paul Scruggs from Xavier had 24 in a win at Butler. We already mentioned, though, that the Musketeers got to figure out a way to get back on the floor. And how about a coach of the week this week, Kevin? I think we have a candidate in mind. We do. Uh, hats off to our friend Kevin Willard at Seton Hall. He just won his 200th game at Providence. He becomes the third Seton Hall coach ever at 200. And Kevin Willard will He's it's keeping climbing there, John. No question about that. Kevin Willard and the Seton Hall Pirates beginning to also start to get things into gear a little bit uh, after stubbing their toe. They had three straight losses and had a solid defensive effort against Providence this week. Well, but you know you have to look a little deeper too. That their three game losing streak it was two Villanova games and a Creighton game. So not exactly the little sisters of the poor. And they're uh, done with those teams right now. They, this they're the done with them. And, and to your point. Anyone who watched their defensive uh, dismantling of the Friars the other night, if Kevin Willard's team can continue to play with that type of defensive production and intensity, they're going to be a tough out. They're taking the ball to Georgetown early, as you can see. Alonzo Mourning comes up with block number one on the night. He has 11 in one game. That shot is up and no good, but there's a foul called. Mourning had 11 blocks against this St. Leo team back in 1988, which is one shy of the single-game Georgetown record of 12 blocks set by his former partner, Dikembe Mutombo. Side to Morning against Zeitschik. Turns and shoots. It goes, and he is fouled. Rare was the big man who could terrorize on both ends of the floor like Georgetown's Alonzo Mourning. Just another in a long line of Hoya bigs that once tortured the rest of the Big East. It was 29 years ago this week on February 2nd of 1992, that morning tossed Boston College around like a personal rag doll. 38 points, 16 rebounds, six blocks, only to have the Eagles toss it right back at his face at the end with an 88-86 double overtime win. Morning that year went on to win player of the year. He would win the Dave Gavitt trophy as most outstanding player at the tournament, despite Syracuse beating the Hoyas in the title game that year, 56, 54. But we remember Alonzo very, very well torturing the big East Kev. You know, if you had to go back and say who the you know top centers in the history of the league, it's tough to top Patrick Ewing. He's, he's always going to be number one in my eyes. Alonzo may be number two. You know, yeah. he, he had a better college career than Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, and you know, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's tough to top a Naismith Hall of Famer. And believe me, from his very first week as a Hoya, we knew he was destined for stardom. Just, just a great, great big man. All right, just to refresh everyone's memory here. Morning followed Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. Played alongside with Dikembe Mutombo for a bit. Then preceded, preceded, I should say, other Georgetown men in the middle. Names like Mike Sweetney, Jeff Green, Roy Hibbert, Greg Monroe, my personal all-name team favorite, Ruben Boomche Boomche. Mm. So that's a pretty good list right there. Tough to top Boomche Boomche. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, John, you said it well, but 
my friend, Mr. Hoya, Rich Shavakin, probably does it with a little extra pizzazz. Uh, no question about that. The pandemic, as we all know, has been a struggle off and on the floor for everyone in the league, as you might imagine. Now, putting protocol importance over the need for practice and improvement and wins has been a constant challenge for every coach, every staff, every player. And how has this situation affected a program like DePaul? Head coach Dave Lato on coaching and consoling next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. Big East Focus. Kobe Elvis with the first three of the game for DePaul. Dave Lato had a great coaching quote. He told us, hey, you look good when the ball goes in the basket. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. Roster changeover from year to year is becoming more of a rule rather than an exception these days, and that's certainly been evident at a place like DePaul. But the talent that has come into the program has improved the quality of play, even if it has been hard for the Blue Demons to really get started with that process this season. Head coach Dave Lato joins us this week in the Big East. Dave, I can't imagine the frustration over preparing a team to play, coaching new guys up, and then being told you can't play. So can you give us a bit of an idea how playing in the pandemic has changed your daily routine and maybe even your coaching rituals? Wow, that's, uh, John, it's a heck of a question. And, you know, there's a long-winded answer that, you know, obviously we won't have time to get into everything. But it's at most anything that a coach, in this specific case myself, has done to prepare for a season or prepare for an upcoming game or a week or, you know, how you manage your preseason. That's all been thrown out the window. Uh, you, there is no script uh, and you can't go backwards to say, this is how I handled the pandemic 10 years ago. So you just have to figure things out. And it's, it's, it's changed from the time that we started this in, in March, you know, not having the guys all summer long mm -hmm. uh, to prepare them, to get them better, those kind of things in the weight room and on the, on the court. Uh, so now you enter the fall when you get guys back, you know, late July and you're trying to play catch up. You don't know if you should do individual work or teamwork. Uh, and then, as you said, you know, you start to get ready for a season in September and October. And all of a sudden you're, you're locking guys down. You're mm -hmm. putting them in isolation. And, you know, you have to deal with the physicality of it. You have to deal with the basketball part of it. As you mentioned, how do you put a team together? You know, how do you create chemistry rotations? But the biggest elephant in the room is how do you deal with them psychologically? Right. And so all of those balls are up in the air. You're trying to juggle them. And then you start a season, you get more interruptions. So right now, you know, we're in uh, February, which is about the time everybody starts talking about March Madness and qualifying and where you are in the league and all that. And, and we're just getting out of preseason mode emotionally and, and chemistry-wise. So there's so many oddities. That they come with it that challenge me or anybody in this chair that has to make decisions on what to do with a practice, never mind you know, a season or preparing for a week or a game. Dave, uh, first of all, we promised that we're not going to talk COVID for all eight minutes here. But uh, <laughs> we, we, the thing that jumps out uh, to me about your season is obviously your, your non November and non start of a season until December 23rd, I think was your first game. Was that the toughest part? If I had to ask you, what was the has been the you know most difficult thing to to fight through? Was it just the preseason pauses and not starting until everyone else has already had you know eight ten games maybe? You know that yeah I I could say that probably you know by by a short distance was was the the, the most difficult stretch because it was the first time that they had to deal with the reality of not being on the court every day mm -hmm. and and what comes with that. 
So that was really difficult. But then, you know, just being, we were at Iowa State, we're getting ready to play a game. We're in the hotel, we got team meal and, and we're told that there's no game. You know, that is, that was heartbreaking for them. The emotion of, you know, going and getting ready, uh, particularly early in the season when you're playing a big 12 opponent and, and, uh, and then having it happen again at St. John's and again at Georgetown, those are really difficult uh, as much as anything. Uh, but, you know, this whole journey of stop and start, you know, as you, as you mentioned, has is, is been really hard. And I think that the challenge for everybody, not just my team or myself or our staff, is, you know, turn on a game tonight and you watch two teams play and you say, who, well, they played well and they won and they didn't, they lost, but nobody factors in where their, where their emotions and their mindset is at. That's the most difficult thing for me, Kevin, is dealing with and having people, not just our guys, understand as an athlete, you know, you're taught to deal with all the positive emotions that go into getting better and creating wins. Uh, with, you don't talk about anxiety. You don't talk about, you know, all the things, depression. You don't talk about you know, all the negative emotions that they go through. Dave, that, that begs the follow-up. So, you know, we obviously hear from fans, disappointed fans who, you know, may have seen their team slump a little bit. And they think it's, I shouldn't say they automatically think it's like it's 1992 or 2018, but... I don't think the fans appreciate what the players are going through. Is, is that just, that's just the way of the world or maybe, you know, people on your, your, where you sit and where we sit, we, we need to emphasize that maybe a little more. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, not to turn this into a psychological conversation, but yeah, I think that's 100% true. If you, if you look across the country and, and look in this league, you know, the teams that have been able to withstand is one, they've played a high number of games and two, they're, they're, they've got veterans, so they're able to deal with each other just a little bit better than, than the next team. You know, we're all used to seeing Kentucky and Duke and Kansas at the top of the food chain. Why are they not? Mostly because they're young guys and the teams that they're putting together are not used to being around each other. Then I used to, you know, they, they can't lean on chemistry. They can't lean on the things that that veteran teams can. Mm-hmm. And so that that splinters, you know, what would normally be. Uh, a year where you can improve week by week, month by month. And so we have to, as, as coaches or players, especially as fans, I think take a moment to understand it. Uh, you know, sports is a great, uh, a great uh, sidebar to your normal life. You know, you turn on the television, wow, you cheer on your team. But this is so different and, and understanding what these young people are going through because, as, as you guys know, we're not normal. I, I don't mm-hmm. think anything in your life right now is normal, nor is it mine but we're grown adults and taught to handle it. So what about an 18 to 22 year old? How do, how do they handle it when, when you turn on the television and you expect for that team or that person to do well and win? Outstanding points to Paul's Dave Leto joining us here this week in the Big East. So let's talk about your team and how they're handling this far, even in the in the stops and the starts that we've talked about. You know, clearly, uh, you know, Charlie Moore has to sort of, uh, you know, run the snake for you. But you've had some interesting pieces to the puzzle and some real talented guys join your program that have had to integrate with all of this stuff going on around them. How do you feel the learning process has gone this far? You know, it's, it's, they've been resilient, but it's been, it's been long and it's been arduous. I, I tried to put the team together at the end of last season and into the spring with some new pieces and I wanted to get older. That's why we didn't bring in a ton of, a ton of freshmen. Right. Uh, so we brought in some age, either by transfer or fifth year, that kind of thing. Uh, so that we, you know, don't have to reinvent the wheel that the guys have been coached before they understand it. So I thought their, their talent and their, and their veteran understanding of what they've been through would, would, uh, you know, help us. 
I think it's helped our talent, you know, again, like, as I said, not to go backwards, but it, it kind of has hurt because our chemistry is not there still to this day, the way we need to. And, and then, you know, for, for the guys that I, that I knew uh, had to be good for us, Charlie being the, the most recognizable name, uh, Javon uh, Freeman Liberty, because of his talent level, Romeo Weems, a one year improvement, those guys would kind of, you know, help create that kind of chemistry and hold over from last year to this year. All of that is, is still a work in progress, unfortunately, as we go through all these things, including injuries, uh, that, that would allow us to be the best that we can be and, and reach our potential. So uh, we, we do you know, know that it's, it's February and we still have some time to get better, and that's what we're concentrating on. Um, but we want to make sure that we have those, those guys come to race out now and, and poly, poly cap older guys for our team that can you know, play consistently, because I think that's been our biggest challenge is playing consistently. Uh, across the board is the unfair question Dave can you be a spoiler down the stretch and kind of get into the fray here and, and spring some upsets the, the rest of the way uh, yeah I believe so I, it just happened last night with Georgetown and and, and St. John's it, it, it you know we, we've been on the brink we, we uh, we've had as I said some games where we've it's been one or two possession for a lot of our games in, in the league and we have some games that we haven't played well and so it's creating that 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 understanding of if you do this and you do this well with a consistent basis emotionally as well as physically then you give yourself a chance to win so we believe that uh you know it starts this weekend you know going going to indianapolis to play butler and and understanding that that we lost them before we've got to get back on the on the other side of it and play well and win and then carry that momentum into that consistency into our next game and a game after that and a game after that. Thanks again to DePaul head coach Dave Lido. The Blue Demons certainly have the talent to make life uneasy for any team down the stretch in February and into March. And the case is also true at a place like St. John's, where the Red Storm have begun putting the pieces together with a recent winning streak for Mike Anderson. Zach Braziller covers the Red Storm and the Big East for the New York Post. And he'll let us know if those storm clouds remain on the horizon next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the National Perspective. The National Perspective. John McGriff is into the game, dribbling the ball, splits the defense into the front court. And that's it. St. John's makes it now five straight wins as they upend the number three team in the country, the Villanova Wildcats, 70-59, to snapping Nova's nine-game win streak. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. Big stretch lately for the St. John's Red Storm, starting this season out in the lower third of the league. But over the past three weeks, they've begun a slow, if not steady, climb out of the basement into a position, if they keep winning, where postseason play becomes a real possibility. Zach Braziller covers the Red Storm and the Big East for the New York Post. He joins us this week in the Big East. Zach, did you believe this version of St. John's basketball would be good enough to contend for an NCAA spot this year, or was the program, in your estimation, still a year or two away from getting where, where ultimately everybody wants to go? Yeah, I, I, I thought they were an NIT team. Um, I, I thought losing LJ Figueroa was going to take time for them adjust to for them to adjust. Um, I thought they were a piece or two away. I still think, as well as they've played lately, I still think you're probably looking at an NIT this year. Um, but you know. They've clearly played really well lately. You know, they've won five of six. They won at Marquette. They won at UConn. They they beat Butler handily at home. Won at DePaul pretty handily. You know, they're they're playing really really good basketball after a tough start. I'm really interested to see what February brings. I think they have a. I think there's a team that could at least you know they have at least get to eight nine league wins, which would be a 
you know, significant step forward for them. Zach, very similar to last year. It seems as if this is a team that does get better as the season goes on. I, I, I kind of attributed that to Mike Anderson's style. It's funny. So many teams, so many coaches come into the Big East and they're going to play their style and bring their style, and it never happens. This guy does have a unique style that has he traveled in with, you know, from some really good programs and an awful lot of winning. And right now he's got St. John's pointed in a similar direction. This year started a little earlier. You know, last year they really didn't start hitting their stride till the end of February. You know, they they beat Providence at home. They they had a great win over Creighton, um, and they beat Marquette. And then you know we they 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 looked like they were really had some momentum going to the Big East tournament before it obviously got canceled because of the virus. But this year, you know, we're they they really started a little earlier. Now we'll see if they can continue it. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely valid. You know, if you look at last year and this year, both years, they've had a lot of new players and guys that um, have taken time to learn the system and adjust to his style. You know, a, a big talking point for him was guys had to make adjustments and they were, they were, they had too many guys who thought we could win with offense. And that's just not how this team is going to win. And now these last six games, they're really defending. And that's been a huge difference is, you know, they're, they're getting out to three-point shooters. They're, they're creating more turnovers. They're taking advantage in transition. And, you know, early in the year, we just weren't seeing enough of that. And lately, it's, it's really like a, a light has kind of come on for a lot of these guys. Zach Braziller, who covers the Red Storm and the Big East for the New York Post, joining us this week in the Big East. When Mike Anderson was hired at St. John's, I mean, we've seen all different kinds of personalities head this program up in an, in an effort to become relevant again. And we hear that term, relevancy in New York. If you can be relevant in New York, then the Big East is a better league. What were your thoughts when Mike Anderson was hired, and can this team be relevant in New York? I was pretty surprised. It kind of came out of left field a little bit. I, I mean, I think they got really lucky, honestly. <laughs> I mean, he – I think he's the best coach St. John's has had in two decades. And I don't really think it's very close. He brings stability. He brings, you know, the guy knows how to run a college program. You're not, it's not someone who's coming from the NBA um, who, who, you know, he, he knows what it takes. He's about building relationships with guys and creating a family, family atmosphere. And look, when they were one in five in the league, I, the season really could have went sideways. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of times with this program, it has, you know, where a bad start mushrooms and they, you know, they just fall apart. But you got to give this guy credit with what he's done here. You know, last year and this year, you know, having rough stretches has not, you know, led to worse things happening. And that's, you know, that's about experience. This guy's been there. He, he knows, you know, Mike knows what, what it's all about. He knows what's, you know, how to win. He knows what it takes. And I give him a ton of credit, you know, when you consider everything going on with the virus and quarantining and, you know, kids are obviously not living like normal college students. And for him to really keep that team together after that start is is really impressive. I mean, I, I think you could also attribute it to, you know, the schedule was tough early and it's it's kind of lightened up a little bit. You know, they have to play Creighton twice and they have to go on the road to Seton Hall and Xavier, which are really tough places. But you also have to give them credit. I mean, they've won three straight road games. You know, I I really think if if this school just gives him the time, he will make this into a program that is relevant. And look, New York, it's all about winning. Mm-hmm. It's a pro town. There's no question. You know, everyone cares about the Knicks and the Mets and the Yankees and the Jets and the Giants. But St. John's, I'm always wondering what it would be like to, you know, to cover St. John's when they're like 
legitimately good. Like they're a real top 25 team because I think there really is a thirst for it. And if St. John's ever did become that, I'd be really excited to just kind of see what it's like. Zach, I'm with you. Uh, John and I are old enough where we remember St. John's really rolling with some powerhouse teams and the big East as a whole needs it for sure. And uh, I think with people like Posh Alexander, they're, they're well on their way. You're kind of spin on the entire league right now. Villanova is clearly separated from everybody else. Uh, that next level down, uh, are you a Creighton guy? I know some people are still wishy-washy on Creighton. I- I'm curious who you think might be number two and number three. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, I thought Creighton was still the best team in the league. Um, but they've really not played well lately. You know, they I know they're still winning, but they really should have lost at Seton Hall the other day. They could have lost at DePaul. They're just – they're not playing great right now. I know Zagorowski hasn't had a great year. He's had injury issues. There's no doubt Villanova's the premier team. I think Villanova could win. Everyone talking about Gonzaga and Baylor. I think Villanova could, could win a national title. They're that good. They're, they have experience. They're death. I, they're just terrific. I still think Creighton's the second-best team. They just have so much – so many weapons and they do defend better than they have in, in previous years. I would put them too. And then I think, you know, you have a lot of teams in that mix that can beat each other, you know, Xavier, Seton Hall, Providence, St. John's, even Marquette. I know they haven't played great. UConn. I mean, all those teams to me are kind of in the same boat. Now I would understand if someone says, well, James Booknight's there. I think UConn's the third best team. Problem is, they only played a few games with them in the league, so it's kind of hard to say that, you know, unequivocally they're the third best team. I, I really don't think there is a third best team. I think it kind of depends on the night, and I think that's what could make the, the tournament so much fun is it's just there's so much balance when you go kind of three through eight or three through nine in this league. Here's the obvious follow-up then to that one. Is that a good thing for the Big East to have that kind of balance, or do they need – one or more teams to join Villanova up at the top to truly give the Big East that national presence. I mean, they were the number one rated net league in the country. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a fair argument. You know, you kind of can look at it two ways. You know, with all that balance, so you might get more teams in the tournament. Maybe you get like six teams in the tournament, but maybe only one is gets to the second weekend. So would you prefer have three or four big-time teams and maybe have a few teams in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, or do you prefer to get 60% of your, 60% of your league in the tournament? I mean, that, that's kind of something we've seen a lot from this league, you know, since it was the, in this new league is kind of that depth where they're getting a lot of teams in the tournament, but maybe they don't have that many really good teams after Villanova. I do think Creighton is a step above the other teams. I think Creighton is a Sweet 16 team, if not Elite Eight. I think they're going to figure it out. They're, just, they're, they're in a rut now. They're not playing great, mm-hmm. but they're winning still, which says a lot about them. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Big East had its choice. You know, you look at last year where you had Seton Hall was a really good team. Creighton was a really good team. Villanova was a really good team. So they had three teams I thought that were definite second weekend teams. And I don't think there's a third team that you would really say is that good. That's the New York Post's Zach Braziller. Who's got next? We'll bounce into the schedule with a lot of room for landing next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next? This week in the Big East. Who's got next this week in the Big East? The intensity of this game is really picking up here <laughs> no midway doubt. through the second. Bolden out to Enzi. Enzi for three! Yes, sir! Enzi 46-39, Butler back to a seven-point lead. John Rook, Kevin McNamara, this week in the Big East. The schedule for this next week has been changed. It has been jumbled. It has been switched. There are game times that are moving here and there. 
Kevin, I'm not sure how the Big East League office or anybody else in that country, for that matter, is keeping up with all of this. That's a full-time job in itself. And, hey, everything is subject to change, and we say that right off the top. Subject to change, you just worry about your next game, and you hope it happens. And right now, the, the one team that I'm concerned about is Xavier, John. You know, they, they've only played six Big East games. Uh, again, I think people see them as a likely NCAA tournament team. Well, they have to get back on the court, and there's been multiple uh, COVID uh, breakdowns, pauses for Xavier so far that they they need to they need to avoid them the rest of the way. No question, they've had a game Sunday against Villanova at Villanova postponed because of the pause that they're coming off right now. Who is playing this weekend? We feel fairly certain, at least at this point in time, DePaul will play at Butler as we spoke with Dave Lato earlier. Uh, Seton Hall goes to UConn, St. John's. The Johnnies will continue to test that huge run that they're on five in a row, six out of seven wins. They'll play at Providence on Saturday afternoon. Creighton will try to get back on the winning track at Marquette. Those are some pretty good matchups right there. Well, a couple things. A very important game for Connecticut. It's interesting. The teams that have come off extended pauses obviously have had a lot of practice, but not a lot of games, and well, played, played okay. pretty and played pretty well. You know, yeah. Georgetown being the latest example. You know, Dan Hurley. I can only imagine. We we heard from Tyrese Martin earlier in the show here. We know that Dan Hurley is working his team very hard. We'll see how they look in their return against Seton Hall, and then St. John's. You know, St. John's is rolling. Providence is slumping. Looks like a good spot for the Red Storm to keep going. Could be, and it also looks like a spot for Providence to stand up and see if they can throw a punch back to the Big East to get back into the postseason mix. On Sunday, Georgetown was moved around, and they will actually go to Villanova, take the spot that Xavier had originally, and they'll put that game on national television on the Big Fox TV network. You know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't want to play Georgetown right now. I think if I'm Villanova, I just got to get back on the floor and get a win. You know, that that loss – at St. John's was a bit of a surprise, and it did knock Villanova down a bit. They were six; they went from six to eleven in the net. Uh, you know, any hopes of Georgetown of Villanova being a one seed? You know, they probably. They, I wouldn't say they have to win out, but they can't lose many more times if they wanted to get back to that one line. I think they probably are looking at a two as we speak. But there's so many more games left to go, and I think Villanova will will lose some games. That, you know, from here till uh, mid March. You know, Kevin, we spoke with uh, Patrick Ewing a couple of weeks ago, and he, you know, I think the three weeks off that the Hoyas had actually helped them uh, when they were able to get back onto the floor because we're seeing increased presence inside, uh, especially from their graduate transfer. And we mentioned him earlier in the show because he's on the honor roll this week and Chudier Belay. I'm very happy you brought him up, John. He is what a graduate transfer should look like. He's physically mature. He knows how to play. He plays very hard and he's all over the backboards. Uh, be honest with you, he was a guy early in the year I didn't even realize what was around, and now he's a, he's a major factor in every game. He, he's a keeper. You, Patrick Ewing could only wish that he was a freshman or a sophomore. No kidding. On Tuesday and Wednesday, there are games scheduled at this point for next week. Uh, St. John's at Butler for Tuesday, and then you also have Creighton at Georgetown uh, for Tuesday night. Villanova was to play DePaul on Tuesday, but that's been postponed and pushed because Villanova now will entertain Marquette on Wednesday night next week. Also Wednesday night, the renewal of a regional rivalry for the first time since UConn rejoined the Big East. UConn plays at Providence. Uh, you have me confused with all those comings and goings there, John, right. but the part that I did catch, UConn at Providence. The resumption of a longtime Big East rivalry, they have yet to play. Dan Hurley, Ed Cooley know each other well when, because obviously Hurley was at Rhode Island. Uh, it's just a shame there's no fans because I can tell you right now, UConn does not 
Peace Providence fans does not like UConn. It's as simple <laughs> as that. <laughs> so Hur- Hur- Hurley's team will come into Alumni Hall in Providence, and he'll be very happy that there's no fans behind his bench. Good old-fashioned hate still exists, doesn't it? Does in college basketball anyways, and <laughs> it definitely will in the UConn-Providence rivalry going forward. Our thanks to Connecticut's Tyrese Martin, to Paul's Dave Leto, and the New York Post's Zach Braziller for joining us this week. Thanks go out to our flagship radio stations for their assistance, to producer Kevin Collins, executive producer John Paquette. Thanks to the coaches and administrators at all 11 Big East member institutions. For Kevin McNamara, I'm John Rook. Find us on Twitter at JR Broadcaster, at Kevin McNamara 33. Use the hashtag TWITBE, twit me, to send us your questions if you have them. We'll join you again right here, same time next week for This Week in the Big East. Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.